They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. As always, I am your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I welcome my very special guest, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, QK Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, collaborating online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, Little Nikki, Robert V. Aldrich, Aaron Moriarty, Carolyn Thompson, Scott Arcuri, and Shore Hansen Gusted. Thank you all so much. I can't believe these uh, patron numbers have grown as much as they have. And every single one of you that feels like contributing to my insanity so I can keep doing this, I really appreciate it. Today's show, because we're in the cusp of 2021 and crazy things are happening out there, is brought to you by the COVID-19 vaccine because I want to go outside and by the Georgia elections because, you know, wow, that definitely went differently than it seemed like it would. Hooray. Uh, anyway. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome today's guest. And because I don't have it in front of me again, and I like to do things in real time, I want to make sure this is Peter Zimbor. Peter Zimbor records under the name Nudge Sounds and has a new EP, Songs About Girls and Criminals. Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to shooting the shit with Chippa so all of your various listeners can uh, hopefully enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for having me today, Chris. Oh, I really appreciate it. So um, for those that follow me on Twitter, Peter and I's uh, relationship started very recently where I um, had tweeted a fun little uh, thing about, hey, what is the disco of, you know, the 90s or the 2000s? You know, the, the generations I grew up predominantly listening to music and, you know, people would uh, reference, oh, is it boy bands? Is it this? Is it that? Is it, you know, corn? And then, you know, we were going back and forth a bit about Limp Biscuit and um, nudge sounds, you know, the, the, the big song, at least the song you shared with me was this incredibly funny, um, folk song about Fred Durst. Um, I loved it. What's the name of that song again? The Ballad of, of Biscuit. Is that it? Yeah. So the lead single, if you will, off the songs about girls and criminals EP is a song called Ballad of the Biscuit. That is essentially a tongue in cheek tribute that I wrote to Limp Biscuit. So, yeah. Now when, but before we get into where, where does nudge sounds come from? Like, how did you get into do, doing music? So it's interesting. I've been playing guitar since I was 13 years old. And for as long as I've been playing guitar, I've been writing my own songs along with playing guitar. I was always much more interested in making my own songs than I was in learning other band songs. Though I definitely remember getting the guitar world magazine as a kid and learning like Weezer. Do, 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 yep. do. And feeling like, oh, my God, I'm playing a real song and playing like the intro to Enter Sandman ad nauseum because it was the only cool thing I knew how to play for a period of time. But I was always interested in writing my own music. So I would always make songs on guitar as a teenager and stuff. And I would be willing to bet that if there were any recordings of any of those songs that existed now, thankfully there was not. They'd be cringeworthy and absolutely terrible. So I'm glad they don't exist. But it's just something I've always done. And as I've gotten better at guitar, I'm still not, I still don't profess to be a virtuoso musician by any stretch of the imagination. But as I've gotten better over the years, I would play stuff for friends of mine. They would say, you should record that. And a few years ago, uh, 
I wrote this song about this girl who thought I was trying to take her picture at the bank, which I was yeah. not, called Chelsea, I Don't Want Your Picture. And I just played it for some friends, some, some friends of mine that knew the story. And everyone laughed their asses off and said, you should record that. Well, flash forward, not too long after, I met a now very good friend of mine, a guy named Chris J, who was and is the front man in a pop punk band called Army of Freshmen. And I said, hey, I record some music. You should take a listen to this. And he listened to the song, Chelsea, I Don't Want Your Picture. So that's really good. We should, we, should, we should do something sometime. And then at one point in time, him and I were on the phone and we're talking about D.B. Cooper conspiracies, oddly enough, the plane <laughs> in the 1970s. And yep. I said to him, I said, you know, I actually wrote a song about D.B. Cooper. He's like, really? He goes, send it to me. I said, sure. So I sent him this very raw, unrefined recording of the song I wrote called D.B. Cooper's Doing Fine. He called me back 10 minutes later and said, I listened to it twice and you have to come to L.A. and record that. So I went to L.A. and recorded that probably like December of 2000. 18 maybe and it's funny today is january 6 2021 as we record this interview and one year ago today at this time i was on a plane to los angeles to record the other two songs what would make up the songs about girls and criminals ep which was ballad of the biscuit and it's another song on there called modern girl and that's just pretty much how it came to be it was just kind of a project that has always been in me but it's not something i ever necessarily pursued and I did it, I put it out, and it's done considerably better than I think anyone ever thought it would do, particularly like the first day it was released. So yeah, I'm very happy with it. Yeah, that was one year ago today, and yeah. That's amazing, that's so cool. So happy to be able to celebrate that milestone with you, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, one year ago today was a unique day in my life. I, it was my last day at my previous real job, if you will. And I went in that morning, uh, finished up what I needed to finish up. And then I flew out to Los Angeles to record the songs about girls and criminals EP, which came out in October and is doing considerably better than I ever thought it would have done. And I think considerably better than anyone who was involved that would have ever thought it would have done. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it cool when something works out like that? Cause like, you know, I always think about, you know, you try to think when you're making something and whatever the small scale or large scale, you know, you're trying to do it on. And it's always great when you think, okay, I like this and my friends like this, but even with like these shows, I think, well, that's the episode that's going to like take off and people are going to love it. And then it's one that like, I, you know, I liked, but just was kind of like, oh, you know, that was just a fun thing I did for fun. It, it just, it never really makes sense what takes off and what doesn't. It's really cool to see it. Yeah, you mentioned at the top of this interview that the first Nudge Sound song that you heard was Ballad of the Biscuit, and particularly yes. video for Ballad of the Biscuit, which if, if you look up Nudge Sound's Ballad of the Biscuit on YouTube, it will pop up. It's a really fun tongue-in-cheek song and video that I made in tribute to Limp Biscuit, And it's funny how that came about. My friend Chris, who I was telling you about, who was the one who basically told me I had to come out to L.A. and record some of these songs to begin with. His band, Army of Freshmen, was playing a one-off show with a band called Nerf Herder about a year ago. I year love Nerf Herder. I, I actually finally saw them for the first time right before the pandemic. Really? Where did you see Nerf Herder? Were you see them in Worcester? I, I saw Nerf Herder in Worcester, yep, with um, a Real Big Fish and Bowling for Soup. Oh, man. So we, we got a lot of people in the same world. So 
My friend Chris's band, Army of Freshmen, was doing a one-off show with Nerf Herder in California somewhere. And Nerf Herder, they are a band that probably their most prominent song they ever had was a song in the mid to late 90s called Van Halen that was a tongue-in-cheek tribute to Van Halen. And there's a hilarious video that you can find on YouTube. It was all over MTV at one point. And did have a nice stay on rock radio for a little bit. And when... They were doing that one-off show with Nerf Herder. I just said to him on the phone one day as a joke, I said, you know, I should record a song like they did about Van Halen, but I'll do it about Limp Bizkit. He laughed, didn't think anything more of it. I got off the phone, I picked up my guitar, and I just started writing the song. And what appears on the record, obviously it's cleaned up and it's a little bit different, but like the first verse, the third verse, and the chorus is entirely the same from what I wrote as soon as I got off the phone with him. It just... I was thinking to myself, if you were a musician in the late 90s, what iconic MTV bands inspired you to make music in the early to mid 80s? And I was like, that would be Van Halen. And that's probably why Nerf Herder wrote a song about Van Halen. So just as a joke, what band to someone my age would have inspired you to pick up guitar in the late 90s, early 2000s? And even though they're sometimes forgotten about, Limp Biscuit was absolutely enormous from like 98 to 2002. They were literally the biggest rock band on the planet during that time. And it seems like no one really wants to give them credit for that. So I just wrote kind of a tongue in cheek tribute to them and put it out. And then once we recorded the song and I made the video with a friend of mine named Aaron Tebow, who's a great cinematographer and a friend of ours yeah, they- who just looks like Fred Durst. We said all. I was going to say, I was going to say, who is your Fred Durst number one in the video? The, the production quality on the video is great. Yeah, well, the, the video was directed by a guy named Aaron Tebow, who is one of the most talented cinematographers that I know and a very good friend of mine dating back almost 20 years at this point. The guy that plays Fred Durst is a friend of ours named Brian Williams. And when we were talking about the idea of making this music video, we said, who should play Fred Durst? And it came up instantaneously we all said brian because he's bald he has facial hair sometimes to goatee he's got the tattoos down his forearms and the back of his neck all it would take is a white t-shirt some khakis and a backwards red cap and he would be durst so we did the video and we put that out on i believe october 28th and the first 24 to 48 hours of that video being out if we had a period like that every day, it would probably be one of the biggest rock songs on YouTube. Because that day, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit shared it on his Instagram story. Uh, DJ from Limp Bizkit shared it on his Instagram story. Uh, a radio DJ out of New York uh, from Radio.com named Kevin Kenny, who is also a current day host on MTV, shared it on his Instagram story. It just went crazy. And like I said, that doesn't happen every day, unfortunately. But if that happened every day, I think it would be one of the biggest rock songs on YouTube. It, it was just mind-blowing how many thousands of views it was getting. I think it got almost like 13,000 views between different platforms in like a 24-hour period, which is way more than I thought it would get. So I was very pleased with that. And then, and then on top of that, you know, when people such as yourself are talking about Limp Biscuit on Twitter and I see it and I kind of just throw in the video, hey, check this out if you like it. People like that are retweeting it, sharing it. And then one thing that I really like is people are then seeking out the other songs on Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music and listening to 
the Songs About Girls and Criminals EP, and I've gotten pretty good response so far. I haven't got anyone flat out saying, you suck. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with the response that it's gotten. No, you should be, because they're, they're really clever. And, you know, the Ballad of the Biscuit, you know, the, just the chorus, I love the, you know, George Michael sang about faith, but does he really mean it? I know that Fred Durst did, and that's because he's screaming. And I went, that, you could take just that line. I don't know if the song got built from that line or not, or if you got there, but that, that's gold right there when you read that, because it's like all of those points you just touched on, Anybody, you know, younger than 30 listening to this probably does not have a recollection of Limp Bizkit being anything other than a joke like that. We, you know, and they not only were they huge, but it wasn't ironic that they were huge. Like, because the thing that people forget is, yeah, looking back on Fred Durst now, his lyrics and his whole persona was kind of cringy and weird. But then that was a large portion of the population were just like Fred Durst and everyone was angry and angsty and needed that outlet and Limp Biscuit the band. And this is something that a friend of mine that hates basically all modern music even said, you got to give them credit. His band that he put together are really talented. Like they weren't just faking it. They were actually good at what they were doing. So we're going to do a bit of a deep dive here on some of the lyrics of that song. So I hope your listeners do check out Ballad of the Biscuit. Oh, I love I love deep dives. Let's do yeah, I hope your listeners check out the song on YouTube or listen to it wherever they listen to music. But the song starts out, the world could use more love. The world could use less hate. It should be more like it was back in 1998. Then it goes into all these Limp Biscuit references. And of course, George Michael sang about faith, but did he really mean it? That's just kind of like funny Limp Biscuit stuff. There is a socio-political element to this song that while it's tongue-in-cheek, it actually is saying something. In the late 90s, early 2000s, you would see Limp Biscuit collaborate with a rapper like Method Man. Huge hit. No one thought anything of it. They would tour with rappers like Exhibit and Ludacris. They played Woodstock 99, as did DMX. And as we're going through all this sort of division in this country over the past few years, it always struck me as a unique juxtaposition that the world is more politically correct now than it has ever been, yet the country seemingly is more divided than it's ever been in my lifetime. Whereas in the late 90s, early 2000s, there's a lot of Limp Bizkit material that is absolutely positively not politically correct, yet everyone seemed to get along a lot better, and there seemed to be uh, less racial division and things like that. So as the press release that announced the single said, it is the socio-political look at Limp Bizkit that no one exactly asked for. But, you know, it, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it does go a bit deeper than I think people people would credit for upon first listen. No, absolutely. And, you know, you hit a point that's really important there. How many many shows do you hear right now that have a white boy new metal band playing with Method Man with the the fans all getting along? You you, you don't have that. Whereas, you know, in in 98, 99, you know, I I saw Mudvayne and Dashboard Confessional and um, um, uh, Jurassic and Jurassic five play a show together. And you just talk about fans that would not normally get along and everyone had a blast. That had to have been some radio festival, right? It was, it was, but the fans got along. You know what I mean? There wasn't like, and then my wife, when I uh, first started um, dating my wife, 
I had, you know, said, Hey, you know, I, I, my favorite band is less than Jake. Like they were, they're a band from my childhood. I just love them. Um, you know, sky is a genre that people kind of laugh at, but I, I think it's great. And it's one of the main things I listen to. And she said, less than Jake, I've seen them play live. And I was like, where and she said they played with corn and Snoop Dogg and, um, uh, Lincoln park. And I went, are you so, kidding me? <laughs> you're right. That was the project revolution tour. And it was Lincoln Park, Corn, Snoop Dogg, The Used, and Less Than Jake. That was I was actually at that tour at the then known Tweeter Center in Mansfield, yes. Massachusetts. I actually had a public access TV show growing up when I was a teenager that would interview bands and stuff. And we had backstage passes. We got to meet Less Than Jake and The Used on that show. Snoop Corn and Lincoln Park were a little uh, out of reach for our public access show at the time, but the, I do remember that tour. Well, funny, funny that the, the less than Jake tie-in is always an interesting one. Um, cause I don't know if you've listened to any of my shows yet, but my opening theme song, which I use a snippet of was written by Krista makes the lead singer of less than Jake. I did not know that I have listened to your show and I was unaware of it. I saw less than Jake probably around 2003. They did a free show at the hat shell in Boston. The, so I, I, so you and I were in the exact same place. I have a photo of me at that show. Yep, I was definitely at that show. I believe it was a WBCN free concert at the Hat Shell. And this is around the time that, and that was a unique time for music because the late 90s, early 2000s, new metal just ran rock radio. It was not out of the ordinary to see bands like Limp Bizkit, Korn, and the Deftones on MTV right alongside the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, and Britney Spears. And then around like, that mid two thousand, that middle part of the early two thousands, the warp tour scene just completely took over. The pop punk and emo stuff got crazy, and bands like Less Than Jake did ride that wave for a few years of like mainstream radio play and occasional MTV play, and that was right around that time. A funny, a funny quick aside for for pop culture, like current pop culture. Um, do you remember the Bean Dad thing that was going down on Twitter the other day? The I guy was that reading something about that earlier this morning, actually. It's one of the guys from uh, Harvey Danger. Yes, so I was going to say, I didn't know if you knew that. He was only a touring member, but at the Hatch Shell a year prior to that Less Than Jake show, I saw Harvey Danger open for Phoenix TX at a free WBCN show. So I have seen Bean Dad perform live. I miss the... Free WBCN shows at the Hat Shell. I saw Dave Navarro solo at one of those when I was like yep. 10 years old. People forget there were some bands that played that that got huge within months of playing them. Disturbed played one, Three Doors yep. played one. Dashboard Confessional like nearly shut down Boston because so many people showed up that they did not expect. Uh, it was crazy. And that was like the year uh, my first concert ever was the Warp Tour that Green Day played. Um, at uh, the um, fuck, uh, the down, the Suffolk Downs in Boston. And um, it never got to play Suffolk Downs again because we trashed the place. But um, if you look at the photos from when Green Day played, Warp Tour is like a five stage, you know, festival. The whole thing shut down and it was just people watching Green Day on the main stage, like standing on top of trucks. Stay it was insane. And they yeah. played for so long that the Mighty Mighty Boston's, who were the headliners, had to do their set a cappella because they got shut down by the noise ordinance. 
Wow, that's, a, that's an interesting story because the Muddy Muddy Bostons are actually a Boston band. So because Green Day went over, they couldn't even play in their own hometown. But, but that's okay. They got up on stage and did it a cappella and actually had Green Day come up. Like they were, I think they kind of accepted it. Those guys seemed to get along, but it was just a really cool, like, you know, screw these noise ordinances. They took the clock down off the wall and smashed it with a sledgehammer. And like, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they. I actually know the guy who promoted that show. I wonder if he had to pay any uh, fines to the fine city of Boston as a result of that. Yeah, Warped Tour did Suffolk Downs in the late 90s, early 2000s. That would have been 2000 that you mentioned. That was Green Day. Yes, it was. That was Green Day touring on their Warning album, which I think is a very underrated Green Day album. Everyone remembers the early Green Day, Dookie, and albums like that, which were huge. Then they kind of hit, they got so popular so fast that the follow-ups, while successful, were not nearly as popular as Dookie, and they really didn't become an arena act once again, and even a stadium act, until American Idiot came out. But there's this yep. weird period in between, and I think that Warning album is just a lot of good, poppy, somewhat punky rock songs. I mean, I, there's, there's a single off that album that I think might be the best single that Green Day's ever put out, and... I listen to it every Thanksgiving, and I'm probably the only person that does it, but I love the song Macy's Day Parade off that album. You, you and me both. I did a whole show um, on this with my friend Mark Gadosh, who's like the guy I invite on when we talk music things, and he had an idea of just like us each picking an album that we thought was underappreciated or not a lot of people listen to, and he had never heard Warning at all, like the album. And so he got to, so I, we, we went through that and I went through an album by Biffy Clyro that I had never heard. And we just had a blast. I think there's an argument to be made that if you look at Green Day's catalog, Warning is their most underrated album. And I think that there's an argument to be made that American Idiot is their most overrated album, that it just kind of came out at the right time politically. But there's certain things on there that I'm just not sure if it really ages well. Yeah, I can agree with that. The, the thing, I mean, and, and you can note that in 21st Century Breakdown, where 21st Century Breakdown is arguably more introspective and has more going on lyrically than even American Idiot. But it resonates with everything that's kind of one note about American Idiot. And I don't mean that to take away from it. I've I've seen them perform those songs live and they're amazing. Um, but uh they they rode the coattails of that because the world needed it right then. It would be the same as if American Idiot came out right now, right? An album like like an album like that, let's say. Um, you know, it's the type of thing that Bad Religion could never break out with, right? Because they were releasing that album every year of their life. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, it was it was interesting. You mentioned that time period of Green Day. So Green Day played Warp Tour in two thousand. They also. Around that same time, they co-headlined a tour with Blink-182. Later that summer, I think. Yeah, and Green Day was not closing. People forget that. Green Day was not closing the shows. Uh, Blink was the hotter band at that moment. I think that if you look back in history, Green Day is the band that's thought of uh, more respectably than Blink-182. Not that they're disrespected, but Green Day is just on a different uh, stratosphere. But at that moment in time, Blink was closing and it wasn't until American Idiot came out that Green Day really became the well-respected, iconic rock act they're known as today, where they could go out. They, I mean, they played Foxborough Stadium on that tour, on the American Isn't Idiot. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, and that, that Warped Tour show, that they were still torching their instruments back then. 
Like they, they they piled them all up at the end and lit a friggin' bonfire on the stage at Warped Tour. I was like, what is happening here? Like, this is just insane. Yeah, no, I I loved the Warped Tour. It was just such a it was such a unique tour where you could see like a dozen of your favorite bands in one day, and some of the bands who played that would go in unknown and emerge from that summer absolute superstars uh green day played warp tour when they were already certainly well established but there were some bands that like sugar ray a few years prior played that tour in 97 they played on a stage that was literally planks of wood over picnic tables that was the stage and they would do they were selling like five thousand copies of their album a week doing that and fly was blowing up and they were they became pop stars by the summer's end yeah, it was it was insane. I saw um some 41 on Warp Tour before they broke with Fat Lip. So they had they had like their little EP that they passed around um you and, know at at, at, at punk uh, shows. Uh, this is a very scary moment in our country. I know we will overcome this moment. I know that uh, by the end of a long day, uh we Is that you? That was me. I had a tab open that I forgot about. I'm sorry. No, that's no, that's okay. I thought like Literally, our feed was being taken over by, by the folks um, storming the Capitol right now. No, so I, <laughs> Jesus, I was watching the congressional hearings before he, before we started doing the interview, and I thought I closed out the tab, but apparently it just went silent because they stopped it because of the protest. I apologize. No, that's okay. It, it puts us into real time of what's going on. I mean, we're me, me and uh, me and Peter here are having fun, but um, there's there's a. Uh, there's some real shit going on out there. So best of luck to the people on the good side. Yeah, maybe someone like Green Day should have put out an American Idiot album right around this time. It really could have resonated. I'm I'm surprised they haven't to tell you. That. I'm, I'm, well, I'm really surprised that nobody has. Like, you know, um, we we had, you know, the the you know, the warp tour folk, like the no effects and people, you know, the war on errorism and they they had all those kinds of things, the rock against Bush, you know, and all that stuff that came out that I, I don't know if it's just so evil now that they don't think it's worth it, but um, I'm really surprised there's not more um, directly in front of your face. I, and maybe it's just because I'm not going to punk shows right now. <laughs> that could be it, too. <laughs> it, it could also be that the way of distributing music nowadays is just so differently than it was back then. I just put out a three-song EP, and... There's really no physical copies of it that I know. Maybe you could get it off Amazon or something like that. I don't even have a physical copy if it's available. But we're in a streaming world. We're not in a, you know, physical distribution of CD worlds. You know, certain bands who have a certain fan base that will rapidly support them can put stuff out on vinyl and things like that. Unfortunately, Nudge Sounds does not quite have that at the moment. But who knows? Maybe <laughs> supporters uh, will get really into the Nudge Sounds music. Who knows? But... You know, putting out a compilation album like the Rock Against Bush compilation that you mentioned, I mean, what would it really be these days? It would be a Spotify playlist. That's what it would be. Right, exactly. exactly. And if I remember it correctly, uh, was the Rock Against Bush compilation explicitly protest songs, or is it essentially just a bunch of bands putting out material they, they already had recorded? And I think that, you know money from the album sales went to sort of political cause. Am I right or wrong about that? I think it was, I think it was a column A, column B thing. Um, but yeah. I think you're right. Most of it were already existing songs. I think 
like no effects and bad religion might have done like new songs for it because they were i think some two of the bigger bands that were pushing it um Do i think what uh Bex played the conan o'brien show right around that time who did would you remember when no effects played conan o'brien right around that? I, I do remember that I, they put a lyric in the song that I don't believe is actually on the recording and it was on NBC and it was awkward as all hell where Fat Mike says, we all know George Bush is an imbecile. He likes Cox, but he hates homosexuals. I was like, what the hell is going on on network television right now? Yeah. M- Mike um, loves doing stuff like that. He is a, uh, is is Mike? Is Mike is. I don't want to get pronouns wrong with people out there. Is Mike still on the he or is he at they at this? I know that he cross dresses, or but I just don't. I don't remember what's going on with Fat Mike. So I apologize, Fat Mike, if I get I, that wrong. I, I met Fat Mike a few years ago. Uh, he was a very nice guy. He was. He 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 gave me free access to his cooler of beer on the side of the stage when they played with Bad Religion in Brockton. And awesome. As far as I know, Mike is a he. I wouldn't know otherwise. I I, I never heard anything to the front. Well, was, it's just one of those things I always want to try to get right because I know he'd be he. You know, he's big on, um, you know, pushing the ca- the counterculture and the people that are you know less fortunate than others. And I'd hate to get that wrong if he had moved in that direction. You know, I'm not a big fan of IPA beer. However, at that time, NoFX had their own brand of IPA beer that was available. Yes, it was the best. IPA beer I've ever had in my life. Very shortly thereafter, uh, the the astute fat Mike got in a little trouble for uh, making a joke that he certainly should not have made in Las Vegas following that deadly shooting. And they yep. took that on shelves everywhere. And uh, it's a shame because it was delicious. It hopefully, was so good. Hopefully he makes right by that one of these days so we can all enjoy his beer again. Well, it's one of those, you know, I'm... I'm definitely the type of person to try to be careful about what I say and make good on what I say, you know, but fat Mike, when you put that guy, I mean, God, if anybody went to a warp tour show now with those bands that used to play the things you'd hear come out of, you know, punk rockers mouths on stage. It's like when the James Gunn stuff went down, it's like the guy used to work for trauma. What do you expect? He's going to make a lot of crappy, shitty, edgelordy jokes. That's what they do. Like, and that doesn't make it okay. But you put Fat Mike on stage, he's going to try to be edgy. That's something he's going to do. And yeah, I hope he makes good on it because uh, um, he really is a good guy. At least seems to be a really good guy. I've met him as well. I spent a good portion of an afternoon with him once a few years ago. So uh, it, it was interesting to say the least. And like I said, free access to his cooler beer on the side of the stage. So that, that didn't hurt as well. Cool. Well, in, in one more thing about that warning album, I'd like to get back to your other, your other two songs. Cause they're, they're great, but it just, I'll talk music, especially warp tour and stuff any day. But the thing I loved the most about warning is it's, it's such a departure as weird as that sounds for green day even though it's wholeheartedly green day, like a lot of the songs remind me of the stuff off Kerplunk and the earlier stuff, you know, it has that kind of like Frank Turner. Yeah. I've got a punk band behind me, but mostly I just have an acoustic guitar and I'm belting out, you know, just like, it's more more of a pop rock album than it is. Yeah. My opinion. And I really like it. I I, I love that album. And there's also, there's also like, albums from bands that when you get into that band 
the first album of new material that comes out holds a special place in your heart. And that was like the first Green Day album that I listened to as it was a new album, as opposed to Dookie, which, you know, had come out a few years prior. I was probably like, you know, I don't know, it was in like second grade when Dookie came out. So I wasn't like and Dookie rock. was like 93. So I've been in first or second grade then. Yeah. yeah. So, so the Warning albums, the first Green Day album I really got into, it holds a special place in my heart because of that. Also around that same time, like different style of music entirely, but I always loved Ozzy's Down to Earth album. <laughs> so yep. I'm yep. the only one that seems to think that. No, that it's you're 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 with in good company here. So um, back to <laughs> that DB Cooper song, which we said was the first one that you had written out of these three. Yeah. And by the way, the guy that encouraged me to record these songs and actually helped me co-write some of them ultimately is a guy named Chris J from Army of Freshmen. Man, does that guy have stories of early two thousands warp tours that would just blow your mind? They were like the longtime opening act for Bowling for Soup uh, up until a few years ago. They did a tour with. Bowling for Soup in uh, the UK. So that's a guy that you might want to have in your podcast at some point. Please s- send send him my way. I would really appreciate that. I, I will talk to uh, – that would just be awesome. I, I That's the first time I had ever got to see Bowling for Soup, and they were as great as I had hoped they would be, and they had great stories on stage of the UK. They're like, you know, we play these shows in the USA, and we're happy when people show up, but in the UK, we're still huge. If you hear Girl the Bad Guys Want in a bar in London, to my knowledge, it's like it's like hearing Sweet Caroline at a Red Sox game around here. It's just their jam. That's awesome. Oh, man. So, so yeah, this – so you had written this D.B. Cooper song, which is hysterical. Um, and and I, like, I like your style. You know, we, we go through the, the Limp Bizkit thing, but I've always liked that what if it's like deadpan – folk rock you know kind of like thing but the lyrics when you really listen to them because you you don't deliver the lyrics in the songs like you're delivering a hook or a funny line so it's all in how it's perceived and what the actual words are and i had to listen to this db cooper song a couple times because i'm just like wow like there's you you stick a lot of stuff into these songs (laughs) well i appreciate that you're listening to the lyrics intently yeah, there's a song in the Nudge Sounds EP called D.B. Cooper's Doing Fine. And about, I- I'm going to go back almost a decade ago. I was listening to a podcast, which was sort of a new thing at the time. And this podcast was not a particularly huge, popular podcast. Now it's the biggest podcast in the history of the world. It was Joe Rogan's podcast. And he was interviewing yep. Shale Sonnen, who was a UFC fighter at the time. And Shale Sonnen told this story about how... He was writing a book, and there was one story in his book that the publishers would not allow him to put in the book because he would not name the guy. Chael Sonnen says he knows who D.B. Cooper is. It was a family friend of his family's, and the guy is alive and well. Well, I took that to D.B. Cooper was doing fine. I just picked up a guitar and wrote kind of this folk song about db cooper who if you're not familiar with db cooper for your listeners he was a guy that they just did a documentary about him on hbo he was a guy his real name was not db cooper that was a fake name he bought a plane ticket and hijacked a plane in the middle of the air made them land the plane give him two hundred fifty thousand dollars, let everyone but the pilots in the airline workers off the plane the plane then took flight again 
plane and he parachuted out of the plane with the money and no one has any idea what ever happened to him. It's a very fascinating story. So when Chael Sonnen said on the Joe Rogan podcast that he knows who the real guy is, he got away with it, he's doing, he's alive and well. I just picked up my guitar and wrote a folk song that this guy used all the money to donate to charity, put his kids through college, uh, you know, has some nice things, but still has occasional guilt about what he did and how he freaked out people and stuff like that. And I wrote the song. So DB Cooper's doing fine. I think we've got to make a video for that one. You really do. It's it's hysterical, and it's it's you know this because th there's a few bands you know that I can think of from the past that have done you know like a funny folk song, you know. But there's I I like the delivery of it because it has that like old fashioned like Naked Gun or Airplane kind of thing where most of the characters that are delivering the funny lines are delivering them completely seriously. You know? I'm going. To I'm going to go with your theory that I'm doing all of that intentionally, and it's not because I have a limit. <laughs> Ah, that that's cool. And, and so that song's funny. And then we get Modern Girl, which I, I I I will admit the first time I listened to it, I listened to it with my with my cringe radar on because I'm like, okay, every lyric that's coming out of this, I go, this is so goddamn funny. I was like, and at some point, this song isn't going to be an equal opportunity offender anymore, and it's going to get nasty. And it, it you ride that fine line of just being funny. It everybody knows every person you're describing in this song yeah so man we're getting deeper the lyrics of my only three songs that are on record right now ballad of the biscuit db cooper's doing fine and modern girl modern girl is a song that i wrote literally in five minutes a few years ago it just came out of me i was online and i was reading this girl's social media profile and it said that she was pansexual but thinks girls are hot but prefers to date boys that's all it said and i went all right, there's a song here. And I just basically took like 10 girls I know and morphed them into one and wrote this song about a modern girl. And I I don't even really know what it's about. It's about like 10 different people I know morphed into one and kind of exaggerating some of the more eccentric characteristics and hypocrisies in life. And that's pretty much it. Right. And it's and that that's what makes it so fun is that because I, you know, you, you listen to anything that is is meant to be funny and cynical, you know. And, and, and that's why, you know, it just admitting the first time it's like, I'm used to the internet and people being, you know, wanting a bent of like offensiveness. And so that's why I'm sitting there going, but instead it's just, no, these are ridiculous things. And when you say them all together are, it's all counterintuitive to itself. It's, 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 it's very contradictory. And, and I love that. I like the was, it says she's an atheist, but she really likes Easter. And I'm like, that's, I know this is so many people that I know. You know, you know, I was I think I had some of the same concerns as you now that I reflect on it. When I played that song for some people, I remember playing it for a friend of mine's fiance and she was just laughing her ass off at some of the lyrics. And she there's a few people out there that will tell you that is the best of my three songs. And you said you had your cringe radar on. I'm still worried about what lyric people will cringe at as I'm performing because there is this world of political correctness out there where you could say something that is meant completely as a joke that is taken the wrong way. And all of a sudden someone has exponentialized uh, something you said as a joke to be serious when it's not. 
and you want to avoid that at all costs. But luckily, people have gotten the references and gotten the jokes to this point. But uh, it was interesting that you uh, that you mentioned your cringe radar because I, I think that I was trying to see other people's cringe radar as I was watching them listen to my own music. So Wait, I'm, that, and, and I'm you, worried about what I'm going to cringe at years from now and go, I can't believe I put that on a song. Well, it's like, it's like you say with the fat mic thing, right? Like there's things that you can say that, you know, at the time, you know, especially when you're performing live, it's like, yeah, rah, rah, you know, down with the establishment that you say something and you go, oh shit. Like Gilbert Godfrey's 9-11 joke that became the, the aristocrats movie, right? You sit there and go, wow, what a save. You probably shouldn't have told that joke in the first place, but um, yeah. no. Luck, luckily, this song never goes there. It, it's so, it's so ridiculous. Even though each of these things on their own, like you said, I'm pansexual, but um, you know, I I don't really like you know I like girls, but I only really date guys. Is something you can hear someone say that is you know yeah it's contradictory, but also all of us go through things in our lives where we change our mind, and She's so you know so I look at that. What was that? She's pansexual and multidirectional. Right. And I look at that almost as like, um, you know, the, the song has a bit of like, a, and so what, you know, where you get the nowadays where like, that's a lot of things that, you know, the more conservative and old fashioned people go, well, what, what, what's the hot button thing that you are this week? Jeez. And it's like, well, yeah, why can't you just let somebody figure themselves out? You know, like that, that, and I think that so this song actually has fun with that where it's like, yeah, these are a whole different type of people, but the song never says, and I hate this person, you know? And I think that's the key. Not at all. I mean, like I said, that song just came out in a matter of minutes, and it was just a lot of wordplay and a lot of rhyming and a lot of, you know, trying to find girls I know that have certain contradictory elements to to their personality and just put it out there in song. It's it's great. It really is. I can see why some people would think I, I really it's the best because all your kind words that you have about the music. I really do. I I love wordplay, and and all three of your songs have it. You know the 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 visuals in the Fred Durst one go so perfect with it. Again, I I we all like to shit on on Limp Biscuit, right? But your song isn't doing just that, right? It, it's tongue in cheek, but there's there's some truth to it. There's some truth to yeah, we might look back at the new metal Fred Durst, you know, white guy rapping over, you know, metal beats thing as something that we're embarrassed by. But I don't know a person that I grew up with that at least at one point wasn't freaking rocking out to a Limp Bizkit song. I mean, um, they, everybody owned those first three Limp Bizkit albums. They were the biggest band on the planet from 98 to 2002. And if I'm being completely honest, I have nothing but positive memories of listening to Limp biscuit with my friends in the summertime drinking copious amounts of caffeinated beverages and playing basketball and riding bikes so i've basketball, got ba- basketball bikes and hacky sack that was the that was the limp biscuit time yes yes i wasn't much of a hacky sack guy but i i know the type that were listening to biscuit and hacky sacking it up wearing their jinko jeans yes that's me <laughs> with the chain wallet and the backwards cap um just like the just like the guy on the cover of three dollar bill y'all um their their album. I don't even remember the name of the Limp Bizkit album that had Faith on it, but it was a three dollar bill. Uh, that that album is really friggin' good, and I'm and I don't say and I don't say that ironically, you know. Yeah. I prefer their follow up album, Significant Other. I think that yeah. I think that is their best album, in my opinion. 
yeah, those two back to back. I mean, you get into the chocolate starfish thing and you get, okay, I think even you get your own joke now and you're being a little too ironic Limp Biscuit. But, but those two albums were, you know, even, even songs like break stuff, you know, and where it's like, you look back and you go, Oh, but it's like, you know what? It's 17. This was my jam. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there is certain, and I, I, I don't want to say anything negative about Limp Biscuit because I wrote a song about them and Quite honestly, Fred Durst and DJ Lethal put the song on their Instagram. Right. Right. So I was blown away that they did that. I would love to meet them someday. But there are certain lyrics that, and I won't just say this about Limp Bizkit. I'll say this about the entire new metal genre as a whole, that I remember being like 24, 25, driving in a truck with a friend of mine. We're moving a piano. And he was playing a song from a new metal band that was not Limp Bizkit, who I will not mention their name. And as we were listening to this song, I was like, can you believe that these guys were like our age now when they sang some of these lyrics? And we started laughing. Like, it just didn't seem like anything that a 24, 25 year old would say. But there was a juvenile element to all of the lyrical content, not all of the lyrical content, but a lot of the lyrical content to a lot of new metal music. And it was just the time in your life where that completely went over your head because maybe that's the life you were living at the time. You're so mad you wanted to break some stuff. Well, it's, it's one of those things. It's funny that you mentioned that juvenile aspect because a lot of that doesn't age like, like you brought up. Like, that's the thing where you kind of have to go, we can leave that there and still appreciate what they were doing because a band you mentioned that I think are the um, quintessential purveyor of that, even though I love them is, is blink 182 taking a band like green day on tour with them. Cause green day needed a boost like green day's warning album needed the boost of that tour they were doing for they needed to remind people hey we're green day because they didn't have american idiot yet here's a trivia question for you that tour it was the pop disaster tour which was blink wanted to in green day jimmy world was on the tour who was the other band that was on that tour it's another band that probably could have used the boost at the time that we've talked about in this interview oh Wow. I was going to say Offspring until you said we talked about it in this interview. No, it was um, Bad Religion was on that tour. People forget. Bad Religion? Yeah. No way. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's true. Oh, that's so cool. You know um, what? But, you know, you know what? I, I might be wrong. Bad Religion might have been on another open for another Blink tour. That's I, okay. The, yeah. That tour was nuts. And I wish I had, because that's the tour they recorded the Mark, Tom, and Travis show on. Um, that, that, that album, that live album they put out, which is um, one of the best live albums of all time. If not for the music, for all of the between song banter, I mean, and it is- that's, and, and that's exactly what I wanted to touch on is blink was known for that banter. But when that, when they were doing that live show, they weren't 17. Do you know what I mean? Like they're in their forties now. Do you know what I mean? And they still get out and play shows and try to do that banter. And yeah, it's tongue in cheek and I love them and, you know, love that Blink-182 is still trying to do their thing. And But like the, their newest albums, I like them. Like it's good Blink-182 stuff. It's a little different, but they tried to put a couple of those like, you know, on Dude Ranch, they have, you know, the the um, people doing things with horses sounds and stuff in between the songs and stuff. And you go, this was really funny when I was 17 and now when I'm 37, I kind of skip past that part. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I don't, I don't need this level of juvenile in my life right now. But they tried, like, there's a song called Built This Pool. 
on one of their more recent albums. And it just, the lyrics are straight up. I want to see some naked dudes. So I built this pool and it's like, this is funny. Okay. You guys are funny, but you're also singing songs about how it's okay to sleep with someone when you're fifth, 16 and you're still singing those songs. So maybe, maybe you want to tone it down the tiniest bit at 45, <laughs> you know, I think that juvenile doo doo caca humor is just a big part of who Mark Hoppus is. And I don't, think I agree. I just don't think it'll ever leave him. Do you, do and, you... I'm, and I'm glad that it doesn't. It's just one of those things where like with the, you know, nookie and things like that of Limp Bizkit, you can look back and go, yeah, maybe I don't need to see, you know, late 40 year old Fred Durst singing nookie anymore. You know, <laughs> but if you're going to go to a Limp Bizkit show and he's he gonna... better fucking play it. <laughs> if they don't play nookie, people leave and going, I can't believe they didn't do nookie. Yep. So I, I think you have to do it. I actually saw online there's rumors they're going to tour in the summer of 2021, which would be cool. It would be cool if anyone could do any tours in the summer of 2021. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that your sponsor for this podcast, the vaccine, uh, comes through by then so that people can get out and do things. Yes, I, I, I know people very close to me that have already gotten um, their two rounds of it. So I'm very glad that people are starting to get it. So let's just hope that it works. And this new strain is not something is something that can be contained and doesn't affect us too much. And, uh, cause we're going to be coming up on a year of the pandemic in March. We're 10 months oh, in things are still oh not God. now. I know Th things are still not completely open right now. So we'll, uh, hopefully we get back there sooner than later. We can all hope. The last thing I did, um, before the pandemic dropped us all into hell was I did a panel at PAX East with my brother, which I don't even know how we got accepted for that. He's a Boston area film critic, but I, you know, I did it like as me from this show, we did a panel and we had a huge room and it was a great turnout. But PAX was like the, the first time where we were hearing, you know, Sony pulls out of it and like, is this going to ruin PAX for Boston? And Sony pulled out because of the, because of the coronavirus, And, I remember being there and then being like crazy about cleaning everything, but we weren't at the glove and mask stage yet. So we were literally in a conference room with 30,000 people at this damn convention. No one was masked. No one was anything. And then two days later, everything shuts down. I remember being at Lowell Memorial Auditorium, which is uh, sort of your neck of the woods, I think. I and went to college in Lowell. I've so been to the auditorium a bunch. So I was at the annual Golden Gloves boxing tournament. Yes. There's like 2,500 people in the place watching amateur boxing, and I'm sitting next to a friend of mine, and I'm like, have you been watching the news lately? I go, they say that like what we're doing right now might not be a good idea like very soon. Like They might have to shut down everything. Do you think that's really going to happen? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it, we were just thinking. Y you read about, you know, them quarantining soldiers who had smallpox in the American Revolution you read in school, and you're like, man, I'm glad we don't have stuff like that anymore. Now you're like, wow, this this actually might happen. And then, of course, it did. It's crazy. And, and it did, and then we didn't take it seriously enough because, you know, people. <laughs> but I'm glad you were able to get an, uh, an EP out during this. You, you know? know, it actually, it actually, in a very odd way, the pandemic helped with certain elements of it. And one of the, which is the video. Now I, I will let your listeners know that I have been tested for the coronavirus six times, uh, always negative. 
Uh, me and my friends who made the video were very safe in how we were recording it. There was only there's only three of us who made the video, and there's only two of us in the video. We were all safe. We did everything right. But the reason we had so much time to make that video was because no one was working. The, 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 yep. Everything was shut down. So in an odd way, the pandemic actually helped speed up the process of that video getting made. And it came out great from my good friend Aaron Tebow. So I'm very thankful for that. No, it, it came out very great. Um, I hope I hope that your I hope that your listeners on this podcast go and check out everything we've talked about. Otherwise, they probably lost lost interest in this interview about forty five minutes ago. No, I, I I doubt that. I have I have a as as a lot of people say, Chris is like you know that uncle of yours. Where even if you're not interested in what he's talking about, you keep listening and then you check it out anyway. And because yeah. <laughs> no, because because. Because the point of my my shows is for it to be random and all over the place. I don't want it to ever be like if I was just talking about movies all the time or just talking about music all the time. It, I think um, I don't have. Um, these are things I'm a, I'm a fan of. I'm, I'm an enthusiast, as you'd call it. You know, I don't want this to be, you know, a show of thesis statements, you know, where people have to go and fact check everything I'm saying and. You know, I don't need to be an expert on what I'm talking about. I just want to talk about people that are trying to put positive stuff out there. And I want to help them get the positive stuff out there and make friends is, is what I'm really going for here. Well, I'm very happy to be shooting shit with the chipper today, my friend. Well, I appreciate it. And, and with that, I'm, you know, I, as, as this happens with a lot of people, I feel like you and I could talk for a very long time. Um, but I need to get back going with my uh, unfortunate day job. Um, so I wanted to give you a chance, you know, you've, you've obviously got to promote this a bunch, but a chance to, you know, do a, a final shout out to, to your stuff, anything you want, anything you think we miss touching on just, you know, it's, it's your, it's your, uh, your microphone, sir. No, I appreciate that. I just hope that your listeners check out nudge sounds songs about girls and criminals EP, which is available on Spotify, Amazon music, Apple music, and more or less anywhere where music is streamed. Uh, you can also check out the video for ballad of the biscuit on youtube.com slash nudsounds. Please subscribe. That actually helps us out considerably. And it is hope that people go and check out the EP and check out the video on YouTube. And I thank you so much for having me on today. I truly appreciate and I truly appreciate all of your kind words. Oh, I appreciate that. And again, I appreciate you being so open to talk to me because um, I like how these relationships start. Like you say, you see Limp Biscuit, and you just go, oh man, this is a, uh, an opportunity to drop my video. And now you're here talking with me about it, and I probably might not have heard of it, or if I had, it might have been through Fred Durst sharing it. So, you know, you get you get the full scoop from me, not just a share from Fred Durst, everybody. And I hope I hope Fred hears this because because you know the world could use a little bit more Fred Durst, just like you said. Um, you I, if, you, if you like the video, please share the video, and we'll have to do this again someday. I've got three more songs I got to record at some point this year, so no, I'm sure. Again. please do and let your your friend know that i'd love to talk to him too and also because i'm completely out of touch with the way music is shared anymore and i know that obviously like you said streaming and getting it out there and getting eyes on it is a lot more important now than selling albums you know is is this available like as a purchasable ep or is it just like streaming on apple and things on the like the free type of i actually don't know the answer to that i think there okay way to get a cd on amazon but i truthfully don't know if there's a way to get a physical copy of my own ep or there is i wasn't sure I, I wasn't sure like if you could buy the ep like digitally or is it just oh, out there for absolutely. free you, you, you that's can, what i meant 
Yeah, you can absolutely buy the EP. You can download it on Apple Music and Amazon. And by all means, do that if you feel feel like doing that. You can absolutely do that. Cool. And, and I only say that because I'm I'm out of touch. You know, with a movie, you can just say, you know, go stream it on Prime and, you know, or go stream it on Voodoo and you, the payment you make for it goes to the artist, you know. And I want to make sure that, guys, you can definitely listen to his songs on, on YouTube. But seriously, a, a dollar or two, you know, for, for a song or whatever it is for an EP, um, help help an artist out. Help Help this guy make more music. Because um, this is the real people out there doing real stuff. This isn't, you know, you don't have, you know, an eight album deal with Epitaph or something like that to fall back on. And I want to make sure that you're able to keep putting stuff out because I like it. Only 99 cents a song and I believe $2.97 of the entire EP if you go to Apple Music or Amazon. So it might be worth it if you're into it. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Nudge Sounds, a.k.a. Peter, uh, for shooting the shit with Chippa. And thank you all for listening, and um, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye, guys.